0: Welcome to The ClusterCast, a filterless podcast on family travel. I am your co-host, Anna Lyons.
1: And I'm Scott Lyons. And this is our Northern France World War II D-Day Beach episode.
0: We need to come up with a more creative (laughs) title than that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it is a mouthful. Although I don't see how we can streamline that, though.
0: Yeah, that's true. Uh, This is a really special episode, and I have been wanting to have you put your information about this tour out there for a long time.
1: Right, for sure. It has been a long time coming, and I have wanted to talk about it. There just hasn't been much of an opportunity over the last few years.
0: Well, here it is. This is our first ever location-specific episode as well.
1: Right, so I guess we'll see how that goes. Maybe everyone will just want us to go back to talking about airport lounges and our favorite travel bidets after this.
0: Always travel bidets. Always. Always travel bidets. (laughs) Always travel bidets.
1: So World War II history, moving on, has always been an interest of mine.
0: Really changing gears there. <laughs> um, it's been an interest of mine, too.
1: There are a lot of reasons why we are fascinated with this era. But I think one of the big reasons is because we have a lot of family history that is tied up with, a, with that particular conflict.
0: It is safe to say that we grew up in the shadow of World War II.
1: So true. So all four of our grandfathers were combat veterans three of whom fought in the World War II specific conflict. Yeah.
0: I had one grandfather who was a vet of the Korean War, and the other fought in the Pacific during World War II.
1: Right. And both my grandfathers fought in the Second World War.
0: It seems a little melodramatic to say that we were indirectly affected by the war, but we were. Whether it was the generational trickle-down effects of PTSD, trauma, self-medicating, Or the actual changes in our family landscape, it can be traced back to World War II and our grandfathers.
1: Right. You don't just come back from that kind of thing, you know, especially back in the 1940s when there wasn't as much awareness about post-traumatic stress disorder as there is today, among other things.
0: Among other things, which is why they were called the greatest generation, because, yes, they did have to carry on and try to have normal lives after major disruption, which is something that I really admire.
1: Right. Yeah. The war was always something that was talked about in my family. Mm
0: -hmm. Mine, too.
1: So my own family tree is tied up in World War Two. And the story goes that my grandfather had enlisted and was in training at Syracuse University in New York. That's a hard one to say. Syracuse. Syracuse. (laughs) Actually, this
0: whole episode is going to be full of really weird to pronounce things. So we apologize in advance.
1: Well, We'll try to get right. We'll try. So back at Syracuse University in New York, apparently... I'm I'm
0: ruining your story. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'll stop.
1: No worries. Apparently the school had opened up some of its dorms to be used as barracks for the war effort. So while my grandfather was there training, he would go through the chow hall, as all soldiers do, and there he met a lady who would become his future mother-in-law. My great-grandmother was a caterer, and was doing her part with the war effort and was serving food to the troops. So every day my grandfather would go through the line and he'd come upon my great grandmother and would speak to her in Yiddish and make her laugh. And eventually she said, oh, you have to meet my daughter. <laughs> she said it exactly like that. <laughs> yeah, that's verbatim how she said it. right?
0: With the, that exact inflection. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Anyways, as the story goes, um, <clears throat> she asked him, you have to meet my daughter. And it's like, move over, J-Date. It's the mess hall matchmaker. (laughs) And so they met and obviously hit it off. But he shipped off to Okinawa. And so they kept in touch and then married after the war when he came home.
0: That is actually like a movie level how we met story.
1: It could be a subplot for Captain America.
0: It could. It really could be. Um, Unfortunately, my story is a bit on the tragic side. Um, My grandfather fought, as I said earlier, in the Pacific Theater, which was particularly unpleasant. He actually contracted some weirdo tropical disease that to this day, nobody knows what it was. It caused massive nerve issues, and he went through all kinds of tests and diagnostics at the VA, but they could never figure out what it was. Like even modern medicine couldn't figure out what it was. And he would have episodes like decades later, which was incredibly bizarre.
1: Yeah, it, which just goes to show that it's a jungle out there. <clears throat> I think the saying is the the big things won't kill you, but it's the small things will yeah, when you're like, in the tropics. Mm-hmm, yeah, like
0: the microorganisms will, not the anacondas. Yes. Right. So anyway, that's very true. But the main story I wanted to share involves my grandfather and great-grandmother as well, except they were in Chicago and not New York. My grandpa and his mother were the only surviving members of their family. When he was sent off to the Pacific, my grandmother was absolutely devastated, obviously. You can imagine how alone she must have felt. So she started to compulsively donate blood to the war effort. And when you look at the propaganda posters for World War II blood donation, it is absolutely gutting. I mean, go Google it. It's just, ugh, like... <laughs> You'll see it. You'll know when you see it. Um, And the verb is just so strong that says, like, if he should fall, is your blood there to save him? I mean, that's heartbreaking to read today. Imagine if two of your three children were already dead and the last surviving one had just been packed off to the Philippines and your husband had just died and you were seeing signs like that. I mean, for her, it was probably all she could do, like an actual physical link that she as a mother could create to hypothetically keep her son alive. And of course, back then they weren't regulating how frequently you could donate. So she went like a lot and it took its toll on her already fragile cardiopulmonary system. And obviously, I don't have her medical chart in front of me, but the family story goes that the combination of stress, heartbreak, and compulsive blood donation deteriorated her health considerably. But it was all she could do to save her son. And my grandfather ultimately survived the war, but my great-grandmother died in her son's arms shortly after he returned. So it's quite tragically poetic that her efforts to keep him alive are what contributed to her death. So it was like her son had made it home and she didn't need to hang on any longer
1: wow that's amazing
0: that's kind of a downer story i'm sorry
1: but you should take from that still you should definitely donate blood yeah by the way yeah so i realize that story sounds a little scary and it was an extreme situation a long time ago but not at all close to today's standards of screening for any underlying health conditions and record keeping of how often you donate so please donate it does save lives That is just a story from a very long time ago.
0: Oh, yes, absolutely. Please donate. There (laughs) were no modern interventions for the cardiopulmonary issues she had back then. This is not a cautionary tale. This is a story of how World War II literally changed and shifted our family landscape.
1: Right. And that was actually one of the things uh, we bonded over when we were dating. You know, our mutual interest in World War II.
0: Was that weird for you to have a a girl who was interested Um, in it?
1: It was at first, but it quickly went... By, because then I was excited that you were interested in. But
0: it that's true, yeah. And and we had it a share. <laughs> we had a share family history as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for better or worse, this particular war shaped our family. Because of our shared interest, we started watching Steven Spielberg's miniseries Band of Brothers, which, for those of you who don't know, and why don't you?
0: Yeah. Have you it, been living <laughs> under a rock?
1: It's a show that chronicles the journey and experiences of a specific company of American soldiers throughout Europe during World War II.
0: I think one of the things I appreciated about Band of Brothers was that it humanized the soldiers' stories without glorifying violence, which is a tricky thing to do when you put war onto a screen.
1: Exactly. You know, And the characters were based on real people. It's, it's a kind of group memoir in a way. Because the series is based on the book by Stephen E. Ambrose, where he actually tells the story of the surviving Easy Company soldiers from their eyewitness accounts. Also, I want to say that while this is family travel podcasts, we will say that Band of Brothers is not even a little bit appropriate for kids no, to watch. No,
0: no, definitely not. I mean, our kids will be probably 30 years old before they're allowed to watch Band of Brothers. Yep, exactly. So that that's our that's our benchmark. Definitely <laughs> not family friendly.
1: But as we watch this show, you really start to invest and bond with the characters who are actual people just portrayed by actors.
0: In fact, every episode opens with a few monologues of the actual soldiers. They're old men now, of course, but they are recounting the events that are about to take place. They talk about how they felt, what it was like. It is a really remarkable thing to watch. And then at the like very end of the series, at the finale, they match up the actors with the actual people that they were playing. So you see who was who. And it is a really beautiful moment because it makes it so, so real. And the whole thing was very tastefully done.
1: Absolutely. So once we were finished watching the show, we both said, hey, we would really like to go to Europe and retrace Easy Company's steps. Easy Company being the paratroopers who started in Normandy during D-Day And then end up going through Bastogne in the Battle of the Bulge and then uh, up to the Alps where they take a Nazi stronghold.
0: And for the record, we aren't like weird, morbid exhibitionists. I think for us, with the war being so weirdly present in our lives, it was a way for us to relate to the sort of nameless experiences that influenced our family. So in a bizarre way, it brought healing and closure to see what our grandparents went through and to see places where humanity had prevailed and where good had conquered evil.
1: But by the time we were actually able to pull off a trip like that, (laughs) red money and time, we had two small kids with us and a trip to the Eagle's Nest was just not practical.
0: Yeah. So we realized that we had to take our easy company tour in chunks.
1: yep, Little smaller pieces. And since we like to frequently travel to England and France, it seemed like a no brainer to begin at the beginning and see the Normandy D-Day beaches.
0: Except...
1: It's actually not that easy to find a good itinerary of what to do and where to go. I actually found a lady online who was willing to sell you her itinerary. Ew, not cool. And I built an itinerary. I'm not going to sell it at all because this information should be free. Mm -hmm. So here we go. We start in that haunted house outside of Rowan where Joan of Arc somethinged.
0: Amazing. We haven't figured that one out yet.
1: We really need to figure that out. Yeah, we do. So there are other more convenient home bases than Rowan. If you, if you, uh, could you could have for the specifics tour but because we also wanted to see Paris and Versailles we chose Rowan if you are specifically going to France for D-Day related sites then staying in places like Cannes or Bayeux I think that's how you say it
0: B-A-Y-E-U-X we apologize for our terrible French pronunciation for this entire episode so
1: Excellent. that little town would be a better option
0: mm-hmm. yeah and Syracuse we're sorry So anyway, uh, (laughs) but the second time we did this tour, we stayed a little closer to the beaches.
1: Oh, yeah. In uh, Lyon-sur-Mer. There it
0: is. Lyon-sur-Mer. Lyon-sur-Mer. (laughs) Lyon-sur-Mer.
1: Wow. So that was... We have to (laughs) laugh somehow. This is
0: a really heavy episode. It is.
1: It is. So that was way more convenient when we stayed there. You know, even though I was constantly on the phone with British Airways trying to find our bags.
0: Shudder. But another story for another episode.
1: Oh, my gosh. We really have quite a lot of the worst of material, don't we? Mm
0: -hmm. We do. It's the risk of leaving your front door, right? Yep. Um, So anyway, bear in mind that if you're going to be staying in these tiny little French towns, they don't have the sprawling, super convenient public transit systems like Paris has. So if that is what you are used to when it comes to European towns, that's not that's not what you're dealing with up north.
1: They might have a bus system there, and but that's about it's all you get. it's not going to be great. And it'll take you a long time to get anywhere. Yeah. So, on that note, plan to have a rental car for this type of trip. And it's okay to drive in France. It's really not that hard. Yeah. No. And be prepared for the fact that there are tons of toll roads in rural France. Most of them take credit cards, chipped credit cards, by the way. But some have cash on, uh, but, you know, uh, have some cash on hand just in case a machine is broken or there's some other anxiety producing glitch
0: i will also add that restaurants are few and far between in these parts so load up on nutella sandwiches and apples before heading out. absolutely and scope out the grocery stores ahead of time in their hours like Mm -hmm. the intermarche is really big up there so
1: yeah and gas stations Mm -hmm. oh my Uh (laughs) uh-huh
0: that's
1: a whole episode on just finding gas stations Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. you're like The needle's on the E. Do I need to stop or could I keep going? Uh,
0: Yeah, that's a lot of anxiety-producing glitches
1: right there. (laughs) So in our little car, we drove and started up at the first beach of our Normandy trip at Gold Beach, where the British set up an artificial harbor with floating platforms to bring supplies from across the English Channel in order to supply the Allied troops during the invasion. While this beach wasn't specific to Easy Company and our band of brothers' interest, This beach was really remarkable because the quote-unquote mulberry platforms are still intact on the shore.
0: And for those of you who are confused and maybe annoyed by the weird word mulberry. I like it. It's not a mulberry. It's not (laughs) even close, but whatever. Um, There are these huge floating platforms that the Allies used to unload cargo and supplies during the war. What is really special about seeing these platforms is that they are just hanging out on the beach when the tide goes out. Just still there all these years later. These are real things that were used. Yep,
1: And they aren't behind some velvet rope. You know, you can go up to them, touch them, look around. For us, nobody else was there and we had the place to ourselves.
0: Mm -hmm. There was something really remarkable about seeing these things without the pretense of a museum. It just made everything terrifyingly real.
1: Right. Although there is a museum on the site to kind of talk about What happened at that site, but we skipped it because we have small kids and that wasn't going to fly with them or nap time
0: or nap time. So where to next?
1: So after Gold Beach, we proceeded west and that was our plan to work from east to west. And we did this itinerary in a day, by the way. So you can definitely go at your own pace and stay longer, but it is very doable to make this a day trip. Mm -hmm. Our next stop was this old Nazi gun battery with four 150 millimeter guns still there for the exploring.
0: It felt a little weird to be creeping on the bad guy stuff. Yeah. But it was, again, just this idea of just slamming the abstract into reality. And Mm -hmm. you got to look at these things and you got to touch them. And I will also say that when you look at the detailing of the concrete on these bunkers, which still baffles me that they took the time to somehow decorate these things. You can see how George Lucas was influenced by Nazi imagery when he crafted Darth Vader and the Empire. Like, yeah. it's a very similar look.
1: That's but fascinating.
0: When you, I mean, it's like we walk up to him and you're kind of like, oh, that looks like Star Wars. <laughs> which is just sort of a very weird thing to think.
1: Yeah, it has some simil- similarities. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, there's
0: some parallels there.
1: So from there, after we cr- climbed all over those, um, we went to the American Cemetery, which is also located on Omaha Beach which we all know that name, but it's a huge beach. So unless you have coordinates for a specific part you want to see, I recommend going to the American Cemetery and then seeing the beach from that location.
0: This is a place where you feel like you just had the wind knocked out of you. Absolutely.
1: So we had seen the preparation for the invasion. We saw where the enemy was and who we were fighting against. And then you see the human cost, and it is humbling.
0: It's really hard to put into words how you feel, but there's this one quote that I think says it as well as anyone possibly could, and it goes, It is almost impossible to keep back the tears as you look across the rows of crosses and think of the boys under them who died that day. Even if you didn't know anyone who died, the heart knows something the brain does not, and you weep. Andy Rooney was quoted saying that in Tom Brokaw's book, The Greatest Generation.
1: Yeah, now I'm going to cry.
0: Yeah, that's it. But I mean it perfectly. That's how you feel. That's exactly how you feel.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely when you arrive, that's how you feel at the cemetery. Mm-hmm. Seeing the grave markers facing west, that was intentionally done. So the soldiers were facing home, you know, since they died on foreign soil. And it just shatters you to see it.
0: Seeing the U.S. flag on foreign soil also kind of guts you. Oh, yeah. Um, so when you're in another country, you just get familiar with the unfamiliar and you, you get familiar with being away from quote-unquote home. And then you see this iconic symbol of home, and then your heart breaks a little more when you realize why it's there.
1: Yep. So take the time to look around the small museum slash visitor center. It's not a long time commitment. We
0: were able to do it with naps. So, yep, yeah.
1: exactly. And all the exhibits and memorials are very tastefully done.
0: Yes, they really are. And also, it's a shame we have to say this, but with just the current social media culture, we have to say, please don't take selfies, like thumbs up selfies at the Omaha Beach Cemetery. I realize it is a remarkable site. but take a photo of a headstone and honor that stranger who showed up and fought for the rights of other strangers. Document where you are, share about what you saw, but make it about the place you are at and what happened and the people it affected. Don't make it about you.
1: Yes, absolutely. So from the cemetery and the museum, it's worth taking a walk down to the actual Omaha Beach.
0: And for anyone with physical limitations or super small kids, know that it is a whole mess of stairs to get up and down to the beach. I would know because they carried a very grumpy toddler up those (laughs) stairs um, and the place was closing and the guard was very nicely waiting for us up at the top. But it's a commitment.
1: And the gate to the parking lot was closed. But they were nice.
0: She opened it up for us. They were they were very kind. You we were the there. last car.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So after that very um, gutting moment at the cemetery, the next place we visited was the memorial of the Braves. And you can try to say it in French if you want, but I'm not going to. Neither am I. <laughs> this is a really beautiful monument to the soldiers who died. This was still on Omaha Beach, but you have to get in the car and drive again. This beach is gigantic and not really walkable
0: the world war ii memorial was constructed in 2004 by a french sculptor and bannon it is located directly on the beach like in the sand and it is this huge stainless steel sculpture and it just takes your breath away with the juxtaposition of violence and beauty it really evokes the idea of swords into plowshares I don't even like modern art, and this piece moves me more than anything I have ever seen before.
1: Right, and it's a photo of that uh, monument is still on your phone to this day as its background, huh?
0: Yeah, it's the background on my phone. Yeah.
1: It's, it's been how many years? <laughs> four. Anyways, moving on. The uh, the memorial for the, for the Braves was a temporary piece originally, uh, but due to public demand and petition, it is still there today. And is definitely worth the stop.
0: And this is all free, by the way. There aren't any entry fees or paid parking. You just walk up and there it all is.
1: Yep, absolutely. So the next free stop, our last one, is Point du Hoc.
0: Pointe du Hoc. Pointe du Hoc. Pointe du Hoc. Or Pointe du Hoc. Pointe du Hoc. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever floats your boat.
1: And this was a strategic location for the Nazis because they had a prime spot to shell the American forces on both Utah and Omaha beaches. So there are craters still to this day from the bombardment of the U.S. Navy planes trying to take out that position. And there's a monument erected on the cliff of Pointe-Hawk commemorating the rangers who scaled the cliffs and captured that particular location for the Allies uh, just before the landing on D-Day.
0: This part was another slam into reality when you see these gigantic pits pockmarking the ground.
1: Yep, the reality really starts to hit you when you see these scars. 75 years later it isn't a faint archaeological line that you see or some small indentation oh no
0: i mean it is there so hideously obvious and i mean you always knew it was real you always saw the tension arise when your grandparents would talk about the war when it was brought up but you never understood why
1: right and i don't think we will ever understand no this is as close as anyone could ever come to gaining a sliver of perspective, though.
0: Yeah, there is a quote by General Omar Bradley when speaking about the D Day invasion that really spoke to me when we were at Pointe de Hoc. And he said, The battle belonged that morning to the thin, wet line of khaki that dragged itself ashore the Channel coast of France.
1: And what started as a common interest and shared history suddenly became one of the most emotionally moving experiences we have ever had
0: yeah it shatters you and then puts you together again in an entirely different way the loss the pain the violence but also the hope and courage that permeates these sites it just emotionally shakes you like a rag doll and you really wonder how you went your entire life without this level of understanding
1: and we don't say this about travel that you can never understand unless you're there no
0: that's such an arrogant stupid thing to say
1: right But we will say this about the D-Day beaches. You will never fully understand through just a book alone.
0: Uh, Yeah, I agree. No amount of virtual reality books or movies can prepare you for these experiences. Um, We've been twice now and both times we've come back with a whole new level of meaning. It never gets old seeing those places and knowing the history that is in the soil.
1: But definitely go. I think every person should go.
0: Mm -hmm. It is
1: really important that we not forget these stories. You know, when our grandparents talked about Armistice Day and the, the Great War that was World War One, they didn't want us to forget the horrors and for history to repeat itself.
0: This is kind of like our Great War. It has affected multiple generations and we need to do everything we can to make sure it isn't forgotten.
1: Yeah. And of course, we are really wishing our grandparents were still alive so yeah. we could talk to them about this stuff and tell them this won't be forgotten.
0: Yeah, that's... Yeah, how it goes. So if your grandparents are still alive, give them a call. Talk to them. Ask them about these experiences.
1: Yep, and this is obviously one of those things that we regret. But really, they want to hear from you, and these stories need to continue as well. Talk to them if you have the chance still.
0: And if you are interested in reading more about the culture and history surrounding this conflict, I highly recommend reading The Greatest Generation by Tom Brokaw. Unbroken by Susan Hillebrand, and of course, Band of Brothers by Stephen E. Ambrose. And if you haven't read it already, The Book Thief by Marcus Zusak, it's a fiction, but I think it adds an important perspective to the World War II narrative.
1: Yep. And in the years since we've gone there, there are a lot more resources out there for planning this kind of trip. Mm-hmm. You know, now there's an actual website that generates an itinerary for easy companies tracked through Europe in real time.
0: Fifteen years ago, we were literally transcribing the route from the book and series into an atlas and like generally guessing that we were in the right places. We're like a pottery yeah. upon Avon. Um, I think it's here based yeah. on the coordinates.
1: I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. A lot has definitely changed for the better in that department. And just in case you are interested in our particular itinerary and want some notes and details and maps on where to go and what to see, Scotty here has come up with an amazingly detailed PDF with our itinerary laid out for anyone who wants it.
1: Boy, I wish I had that last time I went, right? Oh, yeah. So, but isn't this going to be the first and only time I'll be writing on the blog?
0: That is entirely up to you, dude.
1: Wow. Well, we'll see if I do more
0: and it'll probably become the most popular post. (laughs) Why is that? Because people just like you better than me. So it's okay. (laughs) I don't
1: know about that. (laughs) Yeah, That's fine. (laughs) Well, what can I say? People like their corny dad jokes. Yeah, they do. (laughs) And I didn't I didn't say any on this episode yet, did I?
0: No, it's not appropriate.
1: We don't need to start now.
0: Nope.
1: Well, hey, guys, thanks for listening. We realized this was a much heavier episode, but we felt like it was important to talk about. We'll be back next time with how we split up our time between fancy travel and visiting faraway family. It is an ongoing question for us, and we know that we aren't the only ones who feel conflicted on how to spend our precious time off from work and travel money.
0: Please like, download, subscribe, do all the things that tells the internet you like our stuff. Pop on over to our website, clusterfusstravel.com, where you can grab Scott's itinerary notes and photos for reference as well.
1: There'll be a printable slash screenshotable version of the website as well. Be sure to check out our store also on the website where you can find our clothing, bags and mugs with our design that we like to call black, white and French all over.
0: Proceeds from those sales help to keep the lights on here at Clusterfuss Travel and we've worked really hard to make sure these products are high quality and worth your money. There you can also subscribe to the blog, find our social media links and well pretty much Anything else related to our little network of online creative things? And even though your grandparents want to give you ten dollars for your birthday instead of five, <laughs> whenever they hear us say it, this is the Clustercast, a filterless podcast on family travel. We'll see you next time. Go so long, everyone. Bye.